piece very early on as a creative that I will never be truly comfortable with anything that I do. Creativity for me is also sensitivity in a world where no one is listening. We were okay. We were suitably mediocre. Welcome to The Imposterous. The Imposterous is hosted by me, Graham Drew, and Michael Knox. Two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome. With a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower, if you let it. Sylvian female will make tea. No, I'm not doing that. I am, like most creative people, full of self-doubt. It's where self-doubt sort of festers, really, advertising. Welcome back to The Imposterous, a special series within a series, and anyone who follows us will know that I endeavour to kick off all these different series. The last one was Fink Founders and Filmmakers February, which got as far as Fink in February. So hopefully this idea goes a little bit further. This is the family imposterous, where we'll be talking to brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, mothers, sons, fathers, daughters, and in this case, a father and son combo combo. But first, uh, let me say, In today's episode of The Imposterous, the role of Graham Drew will be played by Esther Clarahan. And as someone said to me when I said, I'm hosting an episode of The Imposterous with Esther, they said, finally, some credibility. <laughs> um, and and um, for those who, who don't know Esther, and I did joke to Esther, it's a bit like an economist ad. Um, I've never met Esther Clarahan, said junior mid creative age 42. Um, Esther is Australia's most experienced creative specialist, um, providing counsel for, for 35 years. I, I saw her on LinkedIn, Esther, which it's is... It's actually is more. A, I'm trying to it? downplay my age. Uh, <laughs> well, that's that's yeah, good for you because that, that worked. Esther, an amazing um, career and, you know, you've worked with the best, although I understand I'm not quoted on your website, but maybe we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, great to have you here. Great to have you here for this conversation. I'm uh, really looking forward to talking to today's guests, uh, father and son, as I said, and I tried to wonder if they were the Will and Jaden Smith of Australian advertising or maybe the Richard and Christian Wilkinson might be closer to the truth, but I landed on the comparison of Donald and Keitha Sutherland. So today we're talking to David and Cameron Blackley, who you'll hear us refer to as Blackers and Cam. I like the comparison. I'd like that. I'd like um, either of... Um, Keith's or Donald's money in the bank. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> great to have you both here. Great to uh, be talking to you again, Blackers. Uh, yeah, that's great. Thank you. And Esther, I'm going to let you kick off this conversation because it's brilliant to have all three of you together, although in different rooms, on the one screen. I was looking you up again, and you started at Clemenger in 1968. Yep. That's amazing. And left in, was it 2004? Uh, Something like that. Look, you'd, you'd know better than me. I haven't looked it up, but it would be, yeah, 2004, Ex- five, something like that. And, and <laughs> what was your first job at Clemenger? Clemenger was my fourth agency, but I hadn't really stuck at any of the others. I basically, when I started at George Pats, I was a, a an assistant to the head of television. So I was a bit lucky. I came in 
in the days of black and white television with a, a brilliant man who'd come over from London to head TV for Pats and uh, I was his assistant. So I started producing TV and quickly started writing TV, which was very natural for me, whereas the other writers in the business at those days had sort of tried to migrate across from press and print and radio and really struggled. But uh, so by the time I got to Cleminger, I was kind of a, I think in name I was a creative group head, something like that. So I was basically a TV writer. So the uh, the creative department was kind of pigeonholed by media then, was it? Like print writers and TV writers? Uh, No, Cleminger wasn't. Um, No. George Pat certainly was, and in those days, BBDO New York, which I got to know very well, they were they were pigeonholed where the the art director is in one building on Madison Avenue, and the writers were in another. And a, a copy boy used to take you know stuff from one to the other. It was <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was quite weird, but yeah. Peter Clemenger made three of us. Uh, creative directors uh, on our own specific accounts. So, Cam, you grew up with a dad who was a big cheese in, you know, at Cleminger, but you have studiously avoided so far working for Cleminger. Was that deliberate? Well, they've avoided hiring me. (laughs) (laughs) So when when you first started, was that a tactic to just not be black as sun? Um. Yeah, it was an interesting one, and I think you know I'm cool with everything now. I think you're kind of trying to find your way. Obviously, when you're when you're young, and and um, rightly or wrongly, I was looking for clean air because I thought that would mean credibility. And rather than I'd always sort of really feared that people would think I got to where I got to because of dad and not because of my talent. And um, whether I have talent or not, that still remains to be seen. But I, I still wanted to make it feel like, or at least for my own personal <laughs> mental health, make it feel like I was getting there by myself. And so, um, yeah, I, I guess I did create that separation. Blackish, did you work overseas, David, or just on boards that were uh, international? I didn't ever do what Cameron did, and I admire him for it, and that was Abbott Mead Vickers in London when they were, you know, David Abbott was around and they were on top, and then Droger, of course. Um, I spent... Uh, and Cameron was six years old. I took the family to London and I worked at BBO London in Hanover Square, a wonderful creative director, Tim Delaney. Um, and I was there for only about 18 months. But Peter Cleminger thought it was a good idea to get me out of Melbourne and uh, allow me to have a bigger picture in a pretty hot creative agency in London, which it was in those days. Cam, when, when did the bug bite? To get into advertising. To get into advertising. Yeah, well, that's okay. I never really wanted to do it, which is kind of funny. And, like, I know I was in and out of advertising agencies since I was young and, you know, raiding art directors' drawers for loose coins and all that kind of stuff, stealing marker (laughs) pens. But Dad was always like, don't get into advertising. And I don't know. He might be able to elaborate on why in a minute, but he was like, don't do that. And so I was really drawn to, um, you know, creative fields and I was like... Do I do architecture? Do I find uh, graphic design? You know, how am I going to sort of scratch that itch? Um, but I ended up getting into RMIT to do graphic design. And this is kind of funny, but it's a, it's a twist of fate. But the city campus was designed at the time. One year in, they decided that they were going to make graphic design at Bandura 
and turn the graphic design in the city into the um, advertising um, course. And I really couldn't be bothered driving an hour out to Bandura every day. So <laughs> I was like, well, I've got a, I've got an inkling as to how advertising works, so maybe I'll just give that a crack. Black is the incredible run of success through CAN that Clemenger Melbourne uh, had. Would, would that have started like late 80s, I'm thinking? Yeah. For at the- least 10 years. Yeah, it um, was. Yeah, you're right, it was late 80s. This Mercedes-Benz was travelling on a highway outside Melbourne at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday evening. Inside with the niece family, husband, wife and two teenagers on the way to their farm. As they crested a hill, another car on the wrong side of the road and travelling at high speed in a 100-kilometre zone speared into the Mercedes. In all, 120 safety features are built into every Mercedes-Benz. And in that split second of the accident, many of them saved the family's lives. The driver's pedals dropped to the floor away from his feet. The electronic seatbelt pretensioning device pressed the occupants deep into their seats. And despite the horrifying impact, the Mercedes safety passenger cell did not collapse. Survival space remained intact. This is the Nice family. To them, a Mercedes-Benz is not a luxury. And that's when can lines were hard to win because they well, weren't, weren't very many categories. Many categories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, we Australia would celebrate a bronze in film because, yeah. like, yeah. it was so hard to, to win anything. But you won them 10 years in and out and... Um, yeah, we won. We won ten. We won can lines ten years in a row. I know that. That's extraordinary. True. So these yellow pages and oh, Mercedes, Mercedes, uh, yeah, milk, uh, milk, of course, yeah. yeah. My first day there in 1998, there was a champagne breakfast and I thought it was welcoming me, which I thought was a little bit over the top, <laughs> considering I think I was going into dispatch. But um, it turned out that Roger Daly, um, the retired uh, yeah. milkman, had had won gold. Um, oh, that yeah. that year, and there was quite a celebration. Mm. You know, yeah, it was absolutely. it was about maintaining maintaining that strike yeah. rate because no one else was doing it. Was there a pressure on the department then each each year because this was in the early days? There's, a, there's a, an expectation as a country and as agencies, and there's obviously all sorts of leader ladders that um, uh. networks and holding companies try to to win. But in those days, quite rare. Did you guys just sort of enter and? not think about it much or did, was it a real uh, no, concentrated think, effort? I, I, the creative department was really a bit like, I mean, Michael would maybe back me up on this, it was a bit like a, a, a family. Uh, I had I had two goals before we started to come pretty good. Uh, one was to beat uh, George Patterson into number one spot on size and the other was to beat the Campaign Palace into number one spot creatively. And we seem to be able to point everybody in the one direction with an absolute will to to do that and to have them kind of mentally sign up to what we wanted to do and also to uh, shovel shares in their direction so that they had a sort of proprietorial interest in sticking around. So we didn't we didn't really I don't think we felt I didn't feel that pressure. We didn't lose any people. I mean, the only people that were ever stolen or, or, or left us, uh, top-rated people, were Sarah Buckley and Tony Greenwood, who was stolen behind my back by B 
BBI New York, which is another story, which I've never forgiven them for. But <laughs> <laughs> So both of you as leaders, I mean, you know each other obviously really well. Do you think you've got completely different styles of leadership or do you, do you see a lot of common threads between the way you go about things? Well, that's that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because um, obviously we know each other's personalities, but we've never worked under each other. In fact, like I moved overseas and when I came back, Dad had already left advertising. So um, a lot of it is hearsay. Maybe patience. Um, you know, patience gets rewards. And, you know, if you if you go too hard, you can um, you can burn out or you can absolutely disappoint yourself because it is a, an industry which has such highs and lows. And... I guess, like I would say, decision making, and you know, as soon as I kind of realised that you've just you've got to pick a pick a pick something and go for it, and I've just happened to have guessed the right decision, you know, more often than not. But I think you know that's really really important from a leadership point of view, because otherwise, you know, a vacuum's created, um, you know, doubt creeps in, people get a bit lost and falls apart. is Ben Johnson, 88 Games, 100-metre gold medalist. Hi, I am Ben Johnson, 88 Games, 100-metre gold medalist. When it comes to performance enhancement, Ben really knows his stuff, which is why he's happy to endorse Sportsbet's new juiced-up Android app. It's new. This thing is a hit with performance enhancement experts all over the world. Everyone's on it. With scientific stuff injected into its back end. In bottom. It's so fast, you can get a bet on in record-breaking time. Faster if you cut a few corners. Its unfair advantage is endorsed by all the experts. Which is kind of a good segue into the imposter syndrome. Have you both come across that in your departments and how do you deal with it? I think, you know, being acutely aware of... um, of your of your department it's really important and um and that's something that i've really grown into especially through bmf and you know that's where i think i really came into um you know developing that empathetic side and and understanding where you've got to tap someone on the shoulder and say you you just need to go and sit on a beach for a week or um you know or you need a hand or you know because i think creative people obviously that desire to impress um, the urgency to win awards, the the constant pressure they could they could really um, take its toll. I think there are times where you really doubt um, your capabilities, or you think that the you know you've made the best work you're ever going to make, and you can't come up with another good idea. And I think um, you know monitoring monitoring that um, in your staff is super critical. And, and from a personal point of view, I get really really nervous around briefs, but I know that the solution will come. So I feel like I might have hopefully got over that hurdle a little bit. Do you think that doubt is um, potentially a strong motivator, though, amongst the, you know, the the better creatives that you've worked with? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it creates fire and determination and, you know, and, and creativity is a, a roller coaster ride of emotions. So, you know, it, it can only be that way because it's um, it's not science it's not maths like it's really um it's it's gut and leaps of faith so and i think uh any leap of faith is is scary so yeah i think i think doubt plays a really really important part and you've just got to sort of harness it and and understand that 
um, you know, everything's going to be okay. It is only advertising, you know, and just sort of, you yeah, know, I, I, perspective. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I know, having been around creative people for my whole life, that uh, it's ego, anything to do with creating anything is ego-driven, uh, but there's also enormous amount of insecurity. So that's almost a contrast, but you get high egos, high insecurities, and then you have to have a fingertips thing about how you can control various people. I mean, we had about 36 people in creative in Melbourne, I think, in those days, and uh, every one of them was different. And uh, some some you need to, as Cam said, give them a week off, or and some respond to a more more direct criticism. Others, you know, I remember criticising one sentence in a Kit Kat TV commercial with the a writer, and uh, and uh, it, it was a very minor thing to me. I just suggested something. He didn't speak to me. He locked his office door and didn't speak to me for three weeks. So uh, was that uh, Noxy? Yeah. Hmm? <laughs> was that Noxy? I was thinking if it was me, I don't no, think I had a door. No, I, I decided I wouldn't name anybody here. <laughs> yeah. I think I think there's probably going to be people listening to this going. What's an office? What's a door? (laughs) (laughs) They say every man has his moment. His 15 minutes or so. Not this fella. For 40 Christmases, they bent their backs in search of glory. And for 40 Christmases, he stood by his word. I was going to ask about um, your connection via award because Black is your Hall of Fame at award from the and award a founder to, and a founder 2014. Yes, Cam, that's probably right. And Cam, you're the president of award. Chairperson well, I, I forgive myself what a is, title change. What, what is I'm, the title? What I'm is currently the title? The, I'm currently the chair. Of, you're the chair of award, but I've just changed the award committee to the award council, so I could change myself to El Presidente. Yeah, why don't you do that? This could be this could be the start. Of it. It could be it could be psychic. So you you're both very much strong in the leadership of and direction and acknowledgement and the community yep. that gets around creativity, and you you both clearly see merit in that. Can I just understand what what it is that you get out of out of that and seeing those? Yeah, I. I I actually, um, I kind of thought that I might get something along these lines at some stage. For me, like it was really, really important to um, to put back in, and I thought, you know, um, you know, that's what the industry is about. But also, um, I do have on my LinkedIn that you know that I like to fix broken potential, and I felt, and you know, rightly or wrongly, this is what my feeling was. I felt that award had um, lost its way. And it was lacking um, leadership and lacking direction, and hadn't been um, 
you know, um, modernised. It had lost stature and it hadn't been modernised for a while. So I saw an opportunity um, when I was asked to do it. Like I was on the on the verge of maybe leaving um, the council, but then I was offered the chair and I was like, well, if we're going to do this, we need to make some radical changes that, are, um, you know, that will set a water for, um, for greatness. Um, and and really benefit the advertising and creative community going forward rather than kind of being a um, what had almost become like a third, fourth-rate award show um, with uh, an award school which was good but hadn't been refreshed in a while. So that was why I wanted to get involved. And, and Dad can tell you why he um, why he bought award um, over here from... Oh, well, look, it's ancient history that may not be very interesting, but... The reason I was interested in founding it with Paul Jones and Peter Cherry, uh, I was working in London uh, at BBDO and I was due to come back to Australia and Paul Jones rang me and said, we've had this idea of uh, doing a national award and uh, there's some people in London we'd like you to, to talk to, to help get it off the ground. So that's what happened. But the reason I was interested was that there was the Melbourne Art Directors Club, the Adelaide Art Directors Club, the Brisbane Art Directors Club, there was nothing in Sydney and there was no national award. And I thought, well, this is crazy. I mean, we really need to uh, do something uh, that sets a national standard and, and a beacon for uh, people around the country. And uh, as worthy as all of those art clubs, uh, arts clubs were, um, uh, it wasn't a national thing. It was very parochial and... Uh, I just thought the time had come, and I I support what I see Cam has done with the water. I think it was running down, and uh, it's being rejuvenated, and uh, nothing could make me happier, really. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder, Cam, what the perspective outside is, because it's hard for me to yeah, that's, I see mean, it being on it. I mean. It, um, We've been, but you, but we've, we've been, worked we've really been, hard. We've been wing people on this, haven't we? Like, uh, I think I, I see myself as your as your right hand man in the in the rejuvenation. But you know, it's, again, it's patience. It's incremental, and I think it's borne out in new design systems in the in the standard of the juries we're putting forward in starting a um, creative festival, which you know the first one kicks off in Melbourne tomorrow, which I'm super pleased about being a Melbourneian that we kick off this way out there. Um, I think people won't look at it as the as all the some parts, the way that we see it, but I think it'll be felt and there'll be, so, you know, I, I wonder in five or ten years whether people will look back and go like, oh, I can see what's, what's happening and, and why the decisions were made that were, were made. Yeah, I'm really excited about, you know, what we've done. It's going to be time to hand over the rain soon to someone else to take, you know, to build on the foundation that we've laid out. I think it is interesting on this subject that we've tried to, you know, explore in the idea of turning any doubt in security, you know, from an individual point of view or even the industry, even the agencies as a whole as to where they fit, organisations like Award, which do actually keep individuals relevant. And, you know, Anesta plays a huge role with, a lot of the junior creatives coming through, making sure that they are connected and doing, you know, the right thing by themselves to kind of keep ourselves connected as a, as a community really yep. kind of keeps it strong. One of the reasons for the, a lot of activity in the junior mid level is we're very aware that the last couple of years of the pandemic, these 
you know, we all started our jobs watching and learning from people who knew what they were doing and learning through osmosis rather than seeing something already formed and presented through Zoom. You're watching the actual person across the way in in Blacker's uh, era in an office with a door <laughs> more recently on a on a shared table or a you know com- communal sort of bench but you actually learn so much in observation and we're very aware that this junior sort of influx of the last few years they've missed that yeah and yeah. how important is that so awards really trying to give back in um through craft and leadership courses to accelerate those gaps you know, we are an industry which really uh, Australia seems pretty unique in the fact that the industry wants to tear itself apart. And one of my questions is, how do we bring us together and how do we help lift each other up? And I think, um, you know, part of um, part of the remit of award is trying to bring people together and and collectively celebrate the work. You know, and um, I'd like to see, you know, even beyond, you know when I step aside for that to continue and for us to really become, because we we create some of the best work in the world, but we're very quick to um, rip into each other and tear each other down. So I'd love to see us becoming a very supportive industry around um, what we what we do. And yeah, just on that, t- tearing people down is not good for mental health and not good for no. confidence and things either. And, you know, you, go on, to, for everyone. Go, on, you go on campaign briefs, other sites in Asia and New Zealand, and the only time people tend to comment is to support each other. They, there's not, none of this tearing down. Hey, well, thank you both for Blackers and Cam and Esther too. Thank you for... Um, joining this version of um, a family imposterous and who knows there may be there may be another one of these if uh, if we've done our job thank you yes. oh, no. <laughs> for thank you for involving okay. me cheers right. See you, Dad. See you. this year's been tough and confusing Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful forwards. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and sound house in Australia. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in The Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Yeah.